Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world. Albert Einstein said this in an interview in 1929, when asked if he trusted his imagination more than his own knowledge. It can be hard to be as bold as Einstein and to let imagination take the wheel completely. Creativity takes courage. We wonder how people will react to new ideas and creative ways of thinking. We feel the need to stick to the current formula for fear that a creative solution might not work. Creative ideas can come to us when we are faced with a problem and under pressure to solve it, or when we are longing to change a current situation. Other times, we are riding the bus, brushing our teeth, or doing the dishes, and pop! Your imagination takes over, and you have to write down this perfect new idea before it floats away. May 30th marks National Creativity Day, a day to celebrate all those creative thinkers out there and encourage us all to take on new projects that inspire us to be a bit more creative and perhaps take a few more risks. Whether it is an art project, a new computer code, a layout for your backyard garden, a blueprint for a house, a tweak in a recipe, or a spin on a workout routine, there are endless ways to be creative. So today, let your inhibitions take a short break as we dive into a world of imagination and hear stories from authors that were courageous enough to get a little creative. Good morning, everyone. I'm Allison Dijak, and this is Midtown Bookshelf. Happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome to Midtown Bookshelf here on Midtown Radio. My name is Allison Dijak, and today we are celebrating National Creativity Day. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Serena McDermott. Good morning. And Matt Rappolt. Good morning. So, creativity. To me, this word has endless meanings. Serena and Matt, I'm wondering, what is one of the first things that comes to your mind when you hear the word creativity? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind for me is when someone is proposing some sort of art project and they're trying to coax you into participating and they say, let's get creative. (laughs) And they just, you know, they're trying to get you in the mood to just give something a shot, even though you think that it probably won't turn out that well. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I always think of like pressure, actually. Um, I mean, I've always internalized this idea of myself as being a creative person. Um, But nowadays, I find that the word creative has kind of become synonymous with like going against the grain and uh, being groundbreaking. And I feel like counterintuitively, that actually can make it more difficult to actually create things. So like, for example, when I sit down to write something or to make music, I mean, I have this feeling like I have to be creative. What I'm doing has to be somehow unique or somehow new. And that can actually just be like a weight around my neck and lead to massive writer's block. So, I mean, for creativity, instead of thinking about it like that, I try to think of being creative as not necessarily 
uniqueness or rebelliousness or outside the box thinking, but rather just doing things um, that feel natural to you and in a way that feels right. And that's what I try to do when I'm trying to be creative. Nice. Yeah, for me, the first thing that pops into my mind is always like an arts and crafts project or something like a little a little DIY thing you could find on Pinterest or something. But, you know, when I think about it a little bit further, there's so many different ways to be creative. Like it's not just creative arts, right? You can't only be creative through music or painting or drawing. Um, you know, there's just so many different ways to be creative through like technology and architecture and so many different disciplines um, that I always try to push myself. Yeah, kind of thinking beyond just what creativity means in one field. I guess it can really mean, you know, the act of creation as well. So really just creating anything would be creative, right? Yeah, Serena, I think that's such a great way to look at it because I mean, in a lot of ways that if you're thinking of creativity as being new all the time, that just like gets in the way of actually creating things. Um, I mean, if you just, if you just, uh, I find that if I'm just making things and getting in the routine or the flow of just getting things done or getting things made, that's when those interesting new ideas actually come to me, not when I sit down and try to think about being creative. Yeah, of course. Now, I'm sure there are many, but... Do either of you have any strong memories of a project you took on where you maybe felt particularly creative? <laughs> um, I would say that usually when I'm writing about things that are very personal to me um, or very like emotionally charged, and that's when I feel like my thoughts and words are able to flow most naturally. Um, I mean, I did a lot, I, I do, I. I write a lot of songs about mortality and like what it feels like to have a finite time here on this planet and, and in this life. So, I mean, those things always get me feeling emotional. And I think that that's sometimes when uh, your best work or my best work comes out, when you really feel like you're concentrating on something that's dear to your heart and that it's a subject that makes you feel something really viscerally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, similar to Matt, I've been feeling that my creativity has really been shining through in my writing recently. Um, normally, I write just in professional contexts, and I don't have a lot of opportunity to be very creative. But recently, I've been writing um, more like updates for my family and friends about my life and just keeping in touch with them. And I've really enjoyed finding ways to make those stories entertaining and just be creative in the way that I'm sharing information. So that's been really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree that I have kind of a similar similar thing that it, when it's something that you're passionate about, you put more energy into it and it kind of forces you to feel better about the project. I, I know that I immediately think back to when I was in teacher's college, you know, after going through a four year, like really academic uh, based undergrad, getting to be uh, in a my Bachelor of Education that was a lot more hands-on, a lot more practical, and I could actually see all these ideas come to life and try out new things in the classroom with our practicum placements. Like That was a time where I just felt so creative because it was a field that I was really excited about, and all of a sudden I could bring all of my ideas that I had had to life. So yeah, it's always always great when you can find something you're passionate about. 
So today we have chosen books that either highlight the message of being creative or that highlight an author bringing a story to readers in a unique way. So to start off our show, we're going to hear a song that captures the joy of transporting off into your own imagination, even just for a night in a dream. From his new album just released this May, this is I Kinda Like It by Halifax singer David Miles. That I was falling Then I hit the ground I tripped that I was calling For you to come downtown And now I'm driving with my seat back On the 309 Not a soul in the mirror But I can feel mine I won't, I won't lie Like it, like it, I won't, I won't lie I kind of like it, like it Wanna meet in Saskatchewan By the Cypress Hills They say when the rivers freeze your head I guess I didn't listen to what they said I won't I won't lie I can like it like it I won't I won't lie I can like it like it This long to figure it out. You pulled me aside to tell me about some detailed drawing on an Egyptian tomb. There's only so much time, there's only so much room. I won't, I won't lie. I can like it, like it. I I Kinda Like It by David Miles. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio. Today we are celebrating National Day of Creativity by looking at some different picture books that highlight creativity in different ways. Matt Rappel, what book have you brought for us today? Thanks, Allison. Now, there are so many creative and imaginative picture books out there that I really struggled to choose one this week. Should I choose a book that deals with the subject of creativity itself? One that showcases the lives of real life creative visionaries? 
or should I choose a story that exemplifies creativity and imagination in the book itself? One that thinks outside the box of what a picture book usually is. Ultimately, I decided that creativity begets creativity, and so I chose the latter. And I'm excited and a little nervous for the story I have today. It is called Chester by Canadian author and illustrator Melanie Watt. Now, similar to the book with no pictures, which Serena, you shared a few weeks ago, Chester is a twist on the third-person narrator structure that is a hallmark of most children picture books. In this story, instead of the author acting as the authoritative narrator of the book's events, readers are instead thrust into a narratorial battle between the author and her main character. Chester is Melanie's principal character of the story, and he is a self-centered, fat, orange cat. And the problem of this book um, is that Melanie, who casts herself as a character, wants this story to be about a mouse, whereas Chester wants it to be all about him. And he's armed himself with a big, fat, red marker to make sure that that happens. What follows in this book is a hilarious battle of wits and ink between author and character, each one trying to win the story for themselves. Now, with all the conflicting narration in this book, this one might be a little bit difficult for radio, but I will do my best to try and keep all of the zany antics of this book straight. This is Chester, written and illustrated by Melanie Watt. Now, the book begins even before page one, actually. We open the cover to find an ominous author's note. It says, Dear readers, I apologize for my cat Chester's behavior in this mouse story. Sorry for the inconvenience. Sincerely, Melanie Watt. Then, underneath that note, we see that Chester himself has scribbled in bright red marker, Blah, blah, blah. And the story begins. Once upon a time, there was a mouse. He lived in a house in the country. Then we see Chester has scrawled the next line underneath. Then the mouse packed up his bags and went on a trip very, very far away. And we never saw him ever again. Hasta la vista, mousie. So Chester moved in and made a few changes to his new place. Now, we see that Chester has drawn right over Melanie's illustrations uh, of the mouse's house with his red marker. He's written, Chester's chair, Chester's curtains, and even drawn a big red sign on the wall that reads, Chester's home, sweet home. But on the next page, Melanie counters back. She writes, but the mouse returned home. And oh, yes, did I mention that he brought back a really big souvenir with teeth? And we see that Melanie has drawn in her illustrations a ginormous dog right underneath the sign that, that Chester has, has written. And then Melanie continues, back to our mouse story. Once upon a time, there was a mouse. He lived in... Chester, get out of the way. And we see that Chester has planted himself on the page and he's taking up the entire illustration. Chester writes, 
He lived in the country with his vegetarian dog who only ate carrots. And then Melanie begged Chester to write a better story and it goes something like this. Once upon a time, there was me. Chester stands for C, charming, H, handsome, E, envy of mouse, S, smart, T, talented, E, envy of Melanie, and R, really handsome. Chester lived in Chesterville where mice aren't allowed. And it is a beautiful day. Until we see that Melanie is taking back control of the story until it started to rain and she has poured water all over Chester's drawings and they are smeared in every direction. Melanie continues. Now, as I was saying, once upon a time, there was a mouse. He lived in a house in the country and he lived happily ever after the end. Chester, this is where I draw the line. Nope, I'm drawing the line. And Chester has scrawled a huge red line right across the page and written, do not cross this line. Keep out Chester's side. Chester, that's enough. Hand over the marker this instant. Chester's busy. And now he's drawn a picture of Melanie on the next page. And he writes, I'm Melanie Watt, and I am very angry. Melanie writes back to him, Chester, I'm warning you. Hand over the marker and apologize before I count to three. One, two, Three and four and five and six and seven and eight and nine and ten and eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, la 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 la. All right, Chester. You want your own story? You want to be the star of this book? Well, get ready. Here it is. And Chester's so giddy by this, he says, finally. Once upon a time there was a cat named Chester. He lived in a house in the country. Chester was a very handsome cat, especially when he wore a pink and Chester scrawls, you wouldn't. Tutu. And we see that Melanie's illustration has stuffed Chester right into a tight pink fluffy tutu with a matching silver tiara. The end. And on the last page, we, we see that Chester has taken a little bit of revenge for himself and given a bright red mustache to Melanie Watts' press photo on the last page. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> what did you think of that one? So much fun. And it, you did a great job. I love the voice of Chester. Thanks. But yeah, that was a really great book, Matt. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Honestly, I wasn't sure how Chester's voice was going to come out when I started reading that. And uh, I, I, I wanted it to be a little bit different. I didn't want him to make him seem too angry, um, but I'm glad that it came out quite well. What did you think of the character of Chester in the story? Um, I mean, I, th I found him to be like he's almost like a bit of an anti-hero, right? Like he's the main character, but he's not really a protagonist. He doesn't he's not really a, a hero. 
Um, what do you think of that character that Melanie Watt drew into her story? Kind of mischievous, I think. He's trying to bend the story in his own way to make himself look good. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think he's a little bit lovable too, although although he is seems kind of annoying at times and you know a little bit trying he's he's just so goofy and and reminds me of just a young child that thinks the world revolves around them and you know they just want to be the center of attention yeah kind of of that friend who you know is maybe a bit of a pest but if you're not if they're not there you miss them Yes. For sure. Did either of you have flashbacks when Melanie was counting down one or three, two, one to uh, anything that's happened back in your classrooms? Oh, yes. When you tell a child, just wait one minute, please. Or just wait, just give me a second. And they go, one second up. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. I try to avoid the countdowns because when you get to zero, like oh what's gonna happen yeah yeah i find sometimes like you just see there's like a you know you start counting down you hit that like you know three and then they just get this little look in their eye and i could just imagine that look in the cat chester's eye during Mm -hmm. that so speaking about classrooms um i thought this book was a really interesting one in terms of how you could integrate it into a teaching context or into a classroom setting can you think of any lessons or any um, any ways that this particular book and its interesting narrative structure um, could be used um, in order to teach students about language or, or in any other way in a classroom? I would love to use this format in a classroom. So maybe with a group that's a little bit older, I would give them like a very generic story, like a generic like Goldilocks or little red riding hood or something and have them go through and cross parts out and change it up and I think that would be a great way to get them doing creative writing but in a sort of inviting way because starting with a blank page in front of you can be so difficult but if you're starting from an original story already um, making those those changes and maybe inventing a character who's making those changes sort of like Chester could work as well. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I like that a lot. Um, I think this book just in general can teach uh, good perspective for students, you know, thinking about how the author feels when they're trying to go forward with an idea, but there's someone getting in the way and how Chester feels when someone has kind of brought this idea upon him, but he's not really on board with it yet. So he's trying to make his his opinion known, even though it's not in the most constructive way. So yeah, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm with you, with you, Allison. I really, um, uh, my mind leapt right to the idea of perspective. And I think a lot of times when I'm reading books, I tend to think about how the story is presented. And um, I try to think about what the other characters might be thinking at that time. Because obviously in, in most picture books and in most stories, you know, there's a very definitive point of view, a very definitive perspective. A story is told with one person as being the protagonist, another person being the antagonist um, or peripheral characters. And I think this book would be really fantastic to get students thinking about, you know, the other people who are in the story and what their perspective might be and what, you know, they what what they might be thinking if they were telling the story and how might they express that story. So 
I could definitely see this as being a really fun one to do with grade ones or grade twos to get them thinking about how perspective is used or can be used in different narrative settings. Yeah, I have to say, Matt, I have read this to a class of grade one students and they just thought Chester was the most hilarious and they fell in love with him. So it's a really, really great book with with a ton of different uses. So thanks for bringing it in today and doing an excellent job reading both parts. Um, What song did you bring for us today? Yeah, we're going to go from a a very creative story about a cat to a very creative song about a cat. This is a track by one of Canada's most interesting and arguably most under-recognized bands. This song is called A Plea from a Cat Named Virtue by the Weaker Thans, and it is the first installment of a multi-part cat-centric song series by the lyricist and lead singer of the Weaker Thans, John K. Sampson. And just like our story this week, this song also plays with the idea of narration and the song is told from the perspective and through the voice of a very intuitive little kitty. This is A Plea from a Cat Named Virtue by The Weaker Thans. Why don't you ever want to play? piece of string You sleep as much as I do now and you don't eat much of anything I don't know who you're talking to I made a search through every room But all I found was dust that moved in shadows of the afternoon And listen About those bitter songs you sing should open up the house invite the tabby two doors down you could ask your sister if she doesn't bring her basset hound ask the things you shouldn't miss tape hiss in the modern man the cold war and card catalogs to come and join us if they can for curly drinks and parlor games around the easy life of absolutely no regrets and later maybe you could try to let your losses dangle off the sharp edge of a century talk about the weather or how the weather used to be and I'll cater
don't stop the self-defeating lies you've been repeating since the day you brought me home. I know you're strong. just heard a plea from a cat named Virtue by the Weaker Thans. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf. My name is Allison Dijak and today we are looking at stories all about creativity. So Serena, what book did you bring for us today? This week I chose a book similar to Matt that shows great creativity in its form. The author, Paul Fleischman, has written poetry which most people would consider to be a creative text form in itself. But Fleischmann has cranked up the creativity a notch by writing poems that are meant to be read by two, three, or even a dozen voices. The poems are printed in two columns down the page, with each column representing the words of one of the speakers. When read on the page, the poems are fascinating and evocative explorations of the insect world. When read aloud with two or more voices, the words become energized, coming to life through melody. But describing these poems just doesn't do them justice. You need to hear them to be, to really understand and enjoy them. So I've actually done a recording of my family reading the poem Water Striders by Paul Fleischmann. And this book also has some illustrations by Eric Beddoes. So here's that recording now. Whenever we're asked if we walk upon water, we answer, of course. To be sure. It's quite true. Whenever we're asked if we walk on it often, we answer, quite often, each day, all day through. Should we be questioned on whether it's easy, we answer, quite easy. A snap. It's a cinch. Should we be told that it's surely a miracle, we reply, rubbish, balderdash, nonsense. Whenever we're asked for instructions, we always say, come to the pond's edge. And do as we do. Put down one foot. Then put down another. Resting upon the thin film on the surface. Believe me, there's no call at all to be nervous. As long as you're reasonably mindful that you, but, but by, by the, the time, time our student, student, no matter how prudent, has, has usually, don't ask me why, sunk, sunk from, from view. Wow, that was a really great recording. Thanks, Serena. Yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun. So... Was there anything about this piece of work that you found particularly notable? Or is there something about it that would make you excited to share it with young readers? I just thought there was a really beautiful, natural flow to it. Like it just had a great rhythm. It kind of felt like a chant. I, I couldn't even tell. It wasn't a rhyming poem, was it? Did it rhyme? No, it, it didn't. Okay, yeah, it... I kind of halfway through, I realized, I don't know if this is rhyming or not, but it has the flow of a poem that does rhyme. And rhyming, uh, you know, poems are always so 
appealing to young children because they have that nice beat to them. So I feel like this was a really interesting story that kind of captured that same pulse without having like the rhyme and couplets at the end of each line. I mean, yeah, it definitely didn't have um, the rhyming pattern necessarily, but there were also some rhymes embedded into the text that I thought was really interesting and maybe may have been the author's attempt to sort of call um, call to mind the imagery of these little water critters skeetering around in unpredictable yet sometimes predictable patterns on the water. I mean, I really thought there was a great energy in hearing two people read a poem together. We're so used to hearing poems being read by one person, but there's like a sort of electricity or sort of energy that's created when two people's voices come together to read it as one. And I just thought that was very hypnotic. I could definitely see myself using this uh, with young children in a classroom as like a reader's theater, or even as just a way to explore different types of poetry and maybe use the uh, use a comparison to poetry and music where, you know, you had music, you have you know, different, um, different trade-offs that sometimes happen in different solos or different duets. Um, sorry, uh, solos where they're in a duet where each person's playing solo. Um, and the same thing can happen here in uh, the performance of poetry as well. So I have one more to share with you. That last one we heard was about the water striders. I have one now about honeybees that I want to share as well. So here it is, honeybees. Being a bee is a joy. Is a pain. I'm a queen. I'm a worker. I'll, I'll gladly, gladly explain. explain. Upon rising, I am fed by my royal attendants. I am a bedon guarding the hive's narrow entrance. I am bathed. Then I take out the hive's morning trash. Then I'm groomed. Then I put in an hour making wax without two minutes time to sit still and relax. The rest of my day is quite simply set forth. Then I might collect nectar from the field three miles north. I lay eggs. Or perhaps I'm on larva detail. By the hundreds. Feeding the grubs in their cells, wishing that I were still helpless and pale. I'm loved and I'm lauded. I'm outranked by none. Then I pack combs with pollen, not my idea of fun. When I've done enough laying. Then weary I strive. I retire. To patch up any cracks in the hive. For the rest of the day. Then I build some new cells, slaving away at enlarging this hell, dreading the sight of another sunrise, wondering why we don't all unionize. Truly a bees is the worst of all lives. That was fantastic. That was so much fun to listen to, Serena. Thanks. So these poems, they really tread that line between literature and music, sort of as you were talking about before, Matt. And Fleischmann actually wrote about how his childhood home contributed to him writing poems for many voices. He said, in the corner of the room is a baby grand piano. Under it sits two guitar cases. Both my parents played classical guitar for a time. My mother's real instrument and my own was the piano. Both my sisters played flute. I grew up hearing guitar duets, flute duets, and loved playing forehand piano pieces with a partner. It was here that Joyful Noise, that's the book that we've been hearing from, and my other multi-voice poems were born. Attempts to carry the camaraderie and synergy and do-it-yourself pleasure of chamber music into poetry. These books weren't designed for virtuosos, but for family and friends. The concert stage I had in mind was our own living room. 
So Matt and Allison, you two are both musicians as well as readers and writers. Can you talk about how writing, reading, and music have intersected in your life? Uh, that's a great question, Serena. Um, I think for me, when you think about writing and reading and music and art, and they're all different forms of expression of language. So whether you're writing a poem or a piece of music or a novel, all of that is an attempt to communicate emotion and to communicate your personal thoughts and feelings through language so that other people can understand and enjoy or you know, feel something uh, through the words that you use. So I think there is a, there's definitely a big linkage in between music and reading and writing. And I think that can go for any manner of expression. Um, a lot of times in class, what I teach is that mathematics is not dissimilar from language. It's just another form of expression. And I think that same thing can be applied for music. So I think that the author's point about the poetry coming from music is very a, a very astute one. They're both, um, they're both so related because they both come from that idea of communication and expression through emotional language. Yeah, I definitely agree, Matt, that it's all kind of interconnected in different ways. Um, you know, I've often gotten the question, um, do you write the lyrics to a song first or do you write the melody first? And I find that they kind of just go hand in hand for me personally. Um, you know, I'll kind of get a line that I like or like a chunk of text that I'm happy with. And then they just kind of flow together, you know, as if I was writing a poem and the melody kind of follows in the same at the same time, I guess. So yeah, to me, writing words in kind of a musical poetic form, I guess, um, they just kind of go together. Like writing a poem to me, it's like I would almost always probably have a melody in my head at the same time. So they certainly are, are very connected, I agree. Um, so Serena, that was a really interesting uh, take on some different stories. Thank you for sharing that today. And what song did you bring for us? The song I brought is called I Think It Could Be Possible from Halifax-based folk and pop dance artist Jaunt. Jaunt recently invited fans to download this song for free and send him videos of themselves dancing and singing along, which he then turned into a fun and creative music video. And that's the reason I chose this song. Hey!
amazing song was I Think It Could Be Possible by Halifax singer-songwriter Jaunt. You are listening to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio. My name is Matt Rappold and we are here today talking about all things creative in picture books. Alison Dijak, what book have you brought in on the theme of creativity? Thanks Matt. So to cap off our week of creativity, I have brought in a book from my own collection at home that is like no other I've seen before. It has a really sweet message about being inspired by books to be courageous and explore the world around you, but is brought to new heights by its unique illustrations that tie this theme together. My pick today is called The Child of Books and is written by Oliver Jeffers and illustrated by Sam Winston. This is the pair's first collaboration together and both Jeffers and Winston said that they went through a pretty intensive process in creating this story together. Throughout the book, the majority of the images are actually created using text from classic stories and folk tales, including Alice in Wonderland, Frankenstein, Hansel and Gretel, Treasure Island, and more. Each page is designed thoughtfully with lines or blocks of text designed to look like waves in an ocean, branches of a tree, or even a monster. You can probably guess which page Frankenstein is featured on now. So each page transports us to another setting, beginning with simple watercolor and pen drawings, but then being enhanced by perfectly themed fragments of books and the author's simple yet poignant dialogue, a true creative partnership. So while I read the book today, I am going to add a bit of commentary on some of my favorite images, but I do encourage you to take a look at this book at home too. So this is Child of Books by Oliver Jeffers, illustrated by Sam Winston. I am a child of books. I come from a world of stories. And we see our main character, a little girl, looking at a book sitting on a raft. And upon my imagination, I float. 
I have sailed across a sea of words to ask if you will come away with me. And we see the child of books on her raft and she's on top of a gigantic wave. And this wave is made up of different texts from books. So the text is quite small, so you have to kind of look closely to read it, but we see bolded a few different titles, Gulliver Travel, Gulliver's Travels, The Swiss Family Robinson, The Adventures of Pinocchio, all stories that feature um, water and waves. And the little girl is looking down on a little boy that looks quite shocked. The little boy looks back into his house before he decides to go with the girl. He sees his dad reading a newspaper that is called Serious Stuff. And the text says, Some people have forgotten where I live. But along these words, I can show you the way. We will travel over mountains of make-believe. Discover treasure in the darkness. We can lose ourselves in forests of fairy tales. And by now, our little boy is looking a little less scared and a little bit more excited to be on this adventure with the child of books. And this is one of my favorite pages. It says that they're in a forest of fairy tales and the illustrator has done just that. We see all of these different trees and each branch of the tree is actually a line of text from a different fairy tale. We see Hansel and Gretel, Beauty and the Beast, the Golden Goose, um, Snow White and Rose Red. It's a really incredible page. And Escape Monsters in Haunted Castles. We will sleep in clouds of song and shout as loud as we like in space. For this is our world we've made from stories. And this one is my absolute favorite page of this book. We see the child of books and the little boy standing on top of a globe and they are surrounded by beautiful watercolor pictures with characters from all of the stories that have been mentioned. We see the Cheshire Cat, we see Little Red Riding Hood, we see Black Beauty, a genie's lamp, a rocket ship, a pirate ship, just everything that these children are surrounding themselves with and bringing to life through their imagination. Our house is a home of invention where anyone at all can come for imagination is free the end so that was a child of books what did you think of that serena and matt that's a book that i would really love to read to my child actually i'm familiar with that book um, i've uh, i've seen that book a few times and I, I ever, as you were reading it, I just couldn't help but think of the beautiful pictures that are in it. I mean, the illustrations are just phenomenal in that work. And um, I think they're, they're absolutely worth, it's a book that's absolutely worth checking out just for the illustration's sake. 
Of course. Yeah, the, the text in it is actually, it's pretty simple, but I think the words are actually pretty powerful as well. It's a really lovely message. And I think this book overall has a really simple message. You know, books can take you on adventures and you should let your imagination bring you joy in life. I think if we surround ourselves with great stories and maybe in this day and age, great media in general, we'll be able to enjoy life to the fullest, just as the child of books showed the little boy that he could do. I'm wondering, Matt and Serena, what impact do you think this book could have on children with that sort of messaging? Um, Well, I think that um, very much like the story says, the type of media that we consume really does create our our own reality. And I mean, I've been feeling that, especially since the start of this pandemic. Um, I, I found a lot of days the type of media that I consume really does impact my mood and how I'm feeling about the world and how I'm feeling about my our situation. So I think that the book is spot on when it talks about the idea of media and stories creating the uh, the world around that we live. And from a, a brighter a bright perspective, I think that if we surround ourselves with um, surround ourselves with stories that are um, inspiring, that are creative, that are that showcase the best that human beings can be, um, then I think that in turn, that we that those stories can inspire action that follows those same um, principles and those same virtues. Yeah, I think for me, the message of this book sort of hit me more as a parent. And it made me think about um, how I want the children in my life to also be children of books. I sort of felt a bit of a nostalgia for childhood as you were reading that book. And I want to be able to pass that on. So I think that book for me sort of gave me a motivation to keep reading, keep sharing stories, keep discovering new stories with the kids in my life. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of our responsibilities as an adult that works with children that, you know, we're making sure to share the joys of books and stories with little kids. You know, that's how they get excited. I got excited about reading because my mom was super excited about reading and shared all of her books with me. Like that's why I started reading the Anne of Green Gables series and Black Beauty when I was younger. So I think it's really important that we make sure to share that joy of books with children. And I think it's also especially important in this day and age because there is so much other types of media that are out there. Children are exposed to a lot of forms of media that are not inspiring, that can have a a detrimental impact on the way that, that see the world, that they see the world and can really impact their actions and the way that they perceive other people to be. As teachers and adults, it's really imperative for us to share stories that are inspiring uh, for students so that they can grow in that understanding of books and literature and really develop that um, that understanding of the world as being a great place to be. Mm-hmm. So when I chose this book for this week, there was a song that immediately came to mind that I thought we'd end our program with today. Um, it's all about childhood adventures. So this song is by an American songwriter uh, who goes by the name Sleeping at Last. In this song, he reflects on where his imagination took him as a child and how things have changed as he has grown older. This is East by Sleeping at Last.
that was East by Sleeping at Last. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Midtown Bookshelf today on Midtown Radio. We were celebrating creativity. Today on the program, you heard Matt Rappelt read Chester by Melanie Watt. Serena McDermott shared with us Joyful Noise, Poems for Two Voices, written by Paul Fleischman and illustrated by Ed Eric Beddoes. And I read for you A Child of Books by Oliver Jeffers, illustrated by Sam Winston. Tune in next week for another new episode of Midtown Bookshelf here on Midtown Radio. Until then, keep reading. <laughs>